Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We live in a culture that promotes me, that promotes you. We live in a culture that says, hey, you know, you deserve it. Well, did you hear about the late night television talk show host who had a bodybuilder on his show as a guest? Well, during the interview, the talk show host asks the bodybuilder if he would mind taking off his shirt and showing the audience his muscles. Well, of course, he didn't mind a bit and promptly started flexing for the audience and the television cameras. Well, the show's host commented on the size of the man's muscles and then asked him, what do you do with those muscles? The bodybuilder simply ignored the question and went right on flexing. The answer, well, it was obvious his muscles weren't used for anything other than showing off. The problem is pride against God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, all pride ultimately is against God. Pride of that nature is easy to spot, but the truth is people with big muscles aren't the only people that struggle with pride. Our culture feeds this idea that it's me and I have this right. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our series, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise, we're picking it back up in Daniel chapter 4. It's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar's problem with pride and what God did to humble him. In Pastor Clay's last message in Daniel chapter 4, he shared with us that pride isn't a problem only for kings. You and I can struggle with pride as well. Because as Pastor Clay pointed out, pride is really self-centeredness. It puts us ahead of God in our lives, and that's a problem. The problem is pride against God. Today we're going to hear about what God did about Nebuchadnezzar's pride and what resulted from the work God did. Thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay. This week I was up in my office And uh, Cindy came up uh, for something, and I happened to get an email, and I said to her, I said, I I get all these uh, requests wanting to connect, uh, want me to connect with people on uh, Lindelkin. I don't know what's up with that Lindelkin. What what is all that stuff? And she says, what? I said, this Lindelkin. I don't know what's it. And she says, do you mean linked? LinkedIn? Yeah, thank you. Do you mean LinkedIn? I'm like, and, you know, just being the godly, loving wife that she is, she just busts out in uncontrollable laughter at my, but I, I, apparently I've paid little attention to LinkedIn. So humility uh, is not a bad thing. We're in Daniel chapter 4, and we're looking at the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the radical transformation that takes place in Nebuchadnezzar's life. If you've been following along, by the way, if it's your first time here and you haven't been following along, you say, you know, I'd like to catch up in this Daniel series. Uh, you can go to iTunes and request. You can have it downloaded straight to your, uh, your phone or, or whatever. Uh, cross culture, uh, church, uh, crosswalk. If you have trouble finding it, put it at crosswalk. Um, our, our brother Rick Freeman puts that together every week, and you can listen there. You can also watch straight from our website now. We're videotaping uh, our messages, and you can, you can watch also on the website and take advantage of that. You can catch up with some of this. But two weeks ago, we started in Daniel chapter 4, and, uh, and I read all 37 verses two weeks ago. I'm not going to do that this week uh, for time's sake. I'm going to kind of bring you up to speed on, on where we were uh, two weeks ago, and then we're going to move into the rest of Daniel chapter 4 uh, today. But we're looking at this uh, story of Nebuchadnezzar and what transpired in his life. And two weeks ago, we started with this idea from Daniel chapter 4. The problem is pride against God. 
and I read, you know, like I said, the entire thing last week. But a significant part of the first part of Daniel chapter 4 describes this problem that Daniel has, I mean that Nebuchadnezzar has, uh, with pride. And uh, the, the chapter opens with Nebuchadnezzar very humbly saying, listen, I want to tell you about the great God. I want to tell you about the great things that he has done for me. I want to tell you about, and it's like, whoa, what in the world has happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Because in chapter 3, he was throwing three guys in a fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to him. And so something has clearly transpired, and he says, let me tell you about it. And he starts into it, and, and what comes out of it basically is Nebuchadnezzar is owning up to the fact that he, he, he was incredibly arrogant. There was this unbelievable pride in his life. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. The first part of the problem was this. Nebuchadnezzar has, had, a, had a sin nature, okay? He, he, just, he just did. By the way, all of us do. The Bible says that all of us inherit this sin nature, that it, it, it's... It's this inclination to go against God, to give in to my flesh, to resist the spirit, and to, and to go towards the things that God would not have me uh, to do. And so uh, he, he's a product of his very nature, just as you and I are a product of that sin nature. Nobody has to tell you, probably nobody has to tell you, that, that you have sinned, you have violated God's laws, you have said, done, or thought something that God would not have you to do. The Bible calls that sin. You're a product of your sin nature. Nebuchadnezzar was also, and we said this two weeks ago, he was also a product of his culture. In other words, he's, he's the king of the land. I mean, he is the head kahuna. He is the biggest guy. He, he has the largest empire in the world. He has the most fantastic city in the world. He has all this stuff. He has, I mean, life and death is in his hand. He just speaks the word and people are killed or armies are raised up or, or whatever. And, and so... Whenever, I mean, you, you can only imagine how that is. Everybody bows down to Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody uh, uh, meets every whim, every request, every uh, wish that Nebuchadnezzar has. He just says it and, and it takes place. That's some pretty heady stuff, isn't it? That can kind of tend to, whoo-hoo, look at me. His culture has developed this, this sin. I mean, he's born with it. He's got this sin nature, but, but his culture has not helped it one bit. Can I say this to you and me, ladies and gentlemen? It hadn't helped us one bit either. We live in a culture that promotes me, that promotes you. We live in a culture that says, hey, it, you know, you deserve it. It's about you. And even if you, even, if it's, even if you don't really deserve it, it's still about you. It's still your life. You have the right to decide how to live it, when to live it, uh, what, who to live it with, and, and all this kind of stuff to do. Can I just say this? Listen, and I understand. In, in this room, there may be different views on this or, or whatever the case may be. But in, in the case of those uh, who hold to a, to a pro-abortion view, you've you got you to at least... Uh, Admit that the, that, the, that the cornerstone of that, of that belief is built on what? A, a woman's right. I have a right to choose if I want to bring a life into this world at this time in my life or not. And on and on we could go at all different areas. Our culture feeds this idea that it's me and I have this right. The problem is pride against God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, all pride ultimately is against God. And I defined it some last week, and I understand that my definition of pride may be a little broader than what you've tended to think about pride. Outward pride, easy to spot, right? Woohoo, look at me, I can do this, I can, you know, whatever. It focuses on me. I, I attempted this, I did this, I accomplished this, I... 
whatever the case. That, that outward pride is, is easily spotable, but pride is also inward. Uh, pride is anything that makes me the center of my universe. And as I said last week, uh, newsflash, it, it's not my universe. And I'm not the center of it. But that's what pride will do. So there's a problem, all right? There's a problem. Nebuchadnezzar says, I, man, I had this problem. I was prideful. That's pretty good, isn't it? Prideful. Okay, so watch this. Watch what God does. The problem is pride against God. The solution is pruning by God. Let's uh, read it this morning, uh, picking it up in uh, verse 28, I believe is where we're, we're picking it up today. So he's had this dream. I, I didn't say this, sorry. I, I should have said this if you weren't here two weeks ago. He had this dream, and in this dream, uh, he saw this tree, right? And this tree is magnificent, it's huge, and it's large. And uh, the tree is, is spreads over all land, and all the animals get under it, and, you know, all the people, everybody can take shelter under this. This is his dream, it's what he sees. And then suddenly, the, the tree, he hears these orders for the tree to be cut down, struck down, and this, this band of iron and bronze to be placed around it. And he wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, what in the world was that dream all about? Bring in all those smart guys. And they all come in and show that they're really not very smart. Because, I mean, nobody would be. They don't, they don't know how to interpret the dream. They, we've seen this before in the book of Daniel. But he says, all right, better go get Daniel. I don't know why, I don't know why the guy has just get Daniel in the first place. But go get Daniel. Daniel, come in, tell me the dream. Daniel does. He tells him what the dream means. And he tells him that the tree represents him. And that as the tree was cut down, he's going to be cut down. Well, let's read some of it. Uh, in verse 28, it says, All this happened. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later. So twelve months after the dream. Twelve months after Daniel has interpreted the dream to him. And told him that the tree represents you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be cut down. You're going to lose your uh, sovereignty over your realm. You're going to lose your kingdom. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great? Watch this. Which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Yeah, oops. Watch this, 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, while it's still in his mouth, A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. Now remember, God warned him this was going to happen. That's what the dream was all about. And Daniel warned him at the end of the interpretation of the dream. We we read it two weeks ago. He said, listen, King, uh, humble yourself. Maybe you can stay on your throne. Sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and he began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. <laughs> wow. In, in, the, in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees this giant tree, this magnificent tree, this splendid tree, And then in the dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar hears these words, cut it down, chop it down, 
Strip off its leaves. Throw away its fruit. But leave its stump. The implication being that the tree was not dead. That this was not the end for the tree. And the tree, obviously, if you've read it before, or if you've, obviously the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. So the implication is that God's not done with Nebuchadnezzar. That God still has some plans and some purposes for Nebuchadnezzar. Now granted, this is a radical pruning of this tree, right? This is a radical pruning of this tree. But it's what Nebuchadnezzar needed in his life. That's what I want you to understand today. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God didn't want to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. God wanted to develop Nebuchadnezzar. God wanted to develop Nebuchadnezzar into the man that he could be. God wanted to develop Nebuchadnezzar into the man that God wanted him to be. A man that could bring glory and honor to God. A man that could point people with his influence, with his realm, with his power. He could point people to the true God, to the living God. That's what God wanted for Nebuchadnezzar. God did what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life so that Nebuchadnezzar could be who God desired for him to be. The solution was pruning. Pruning can be painful, ladies and gentlemen. There's no doubt about it. Pruning can be painful. By the way, in the text, it it says that uh, this will happen to you for seven periods of time. Until seven periods of time pass over you. We don't exactly know how long that is. Obviously, seven days or seven weeks really wouldn't be long enough for everything to happen that, that happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Seven months? Eh, possibly. Some people believe that the seven periods of time uh, represent seven seasons of the, of the year. You know, spring, summer, all that kind of stuff. And so we'd be talking about, about one and three quarters years. Just a little shy of, of two years. Most Bible students believe, and, and the word kind of can tend to, to lean in that direction, that it probably means seven years. Seven years. In this state. However long it was. I don't, I don't know exactly how long it was. But however, however long it was. I can, assure, I can assure you. It was longer than any of us. Would ever want to experience. Any of us. Except maybe that Bear Grylls guy. On Man vs. Wild. Or our, our own Russell Hill. He loves that outdoorsy stuff. But, but the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, nobody would want to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Nobody would want to experience what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. Because listen to me, listen, listen. One minute, he is, he is the supreme ruler of the entire civilized world. Everything is at his beck and call. He has more wealth and opulence than you, can, you and I can imagine for that day. He is powerful. He is supreme ruler. He lives in probably the greatest city on earth at that time, Babylon. That, that's, that's who Nebuchadnezzar was. That was his life. And the next minute, the next minute, he's hanging out with the cows and the donkeys, drenched in dew, eating grass tacos and barking at the moon. I mean, wow. Wow. And listen, that, that would be a humbling enough experience for any of us, right? I mean, can, that would be a humbling enough experience for any of us. But when you've been as high up on the social ladder, when you've been as high up on the ladder of power and prestige as Nebuchadnezzar was, man, it's a long ways down. But that's what he needed. Do you understand? Please understand when I say this. I know I've said it several times. This is what Nebuchadnezzar needed because it's what God wanted for his life. 
He didn't want to destroy him. He wanted to develop him. By the way, I was thinking about that phrase in, uh, in verse 16. Back when it's talking about the dream. In, in verse 16 it says, Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Change his mind from a man to, to basically have the mind of a beast. Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting uh, phrase to me. I just, I just, I'm trying to imagine what all that would be like. I understand he kind of lost his mind. He went crazy and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, thought, I gave some thought to that. And I was thinking, you know what? I think really, when you get down to it, do you know what separates man, mankind, from the rest of the animal world? It's our ability to know and worship God. I mean, that, that's really it. I mean, I understand there's different intelligence levels and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about it, that's, that's really different. Listen, a, a, a cow might can ride, eat more chicken on a billboard, but a cow can't worship God. Right? A dog can be devoted to its master, but a dog is not devoted to God. That squirrel out in your yard may be smart enough to, to overcome your squirrel-proof bird feeder, but he doesn't acknowledge the living God. You see, the truth is, when it, when it came to God, Nebuchadnezzar was already thinking like an animal. God just took it the rest of the way. He just let him be who he already was. He was already acting as if God didn't matter. He was already acting as if God uh, had no significance in his life or certainly had no authority over his life. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you built this kingdom? Nebuchadnezzar, you think you the man? I'm going to cut you down to size. I'm going to put a band of iron. It's a lot of speculation what all that meant. But certainly one of the things that it meant was, I'm going to put this band of iron. Nebuchadnezzar, nothing's going to change in your life. I'm going to cut you down to size. I'm going to strip you of your kingdom. And you will not regain it. You will not rebuild anything until you've learned your lesson. That I am the sovereign God of the universe. And I place whom I place and do what I do. It's what he needed. Some of you would recognize uh, the name Charles or Chuck Colson. Charles Colson was a high-powered uh, attorney, lawyer, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, who rose up through the, the political ranks very rapidly to the office of special counsel. The office, it did, by the way, every, all presidents have it now. It didn't even exist before, before this time. Special counsel to the president of the United States. Special counsel to President Richard Nixon. Virtually no decision that the President of the United States, the most powerful man on earth, virtually no decision that he made was made without considering Charles Colson's opinion on it. He was rich, he was powerful, he was famous, and by his own admission, he was arrogant and prideful and thought he was above everyone and everything else and no one could take it down. But then a little thing called Watergate came along. And Charles Colson was indicted for basically trying to cover up the, uh, the illegal activities of the administration. And he went from the, listen, in a minute, he went from the Oval Office to a prison cell. It's kind of a modern day Nebuchadnezzar deal, isn't it? But listen, a fantastic thing happened in the process. Charles Colson met Jesus Christ. And he trusted him as his Lord and Savior. He understood that God was God and, and, and that God had control of this thing and not Charles Colson. He, he eventually, after he got out of prison, he founded a, a, a ministry called Prison Fellowship. Uh, Colson passed away a few years ago, but still that ministry, still today, ministers to the physical and spiritual needs of prisoners all over the world. Tens of thousands have come to know Christ as a result of that ministry. 
You see, there had to be some pruning in Charles Colson's life before he was going to be usable in God's hands. Look at this passage in Leviticus chapter 26. God's talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, and, and if, in spite of all this, these warnings God gave, if in spite of all this, you still disobey me, I will punish you seven times over for your sins. I will break your, what's that next word? Say it. Proud. I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. You, you, you think you're producing these crops? You see, you need to understand what God's saying? All your work will be for nothing, for your land will yield no crops and your trees will bear no fruit. How about Job 33? Look at this. He speaks in their ears and frightens them with warnings to turn them away from doing wrong. And to keep them from being, what's that word? Proud. God does this to save people from death. To keep them from dying, you see? It's not because God wants to destroy people. It's because God wants to develop people into who they can be. And pride, left unchecked, will always take you away from God. Did you hear what I said? It always will. Remember, it's not just outward, it's inward. It's me. It's self-centered, self-focused, self-reliant. That's what pride is is in our lives there was some pruning that needed to go on all right listen i know we need to move on here real quickly but there's some pruning that needed to go on in nebuchadnezzar's life and god did what god did so that nebuchadnezzar could be who god designed him to be god did what god did and god will always do what god does so that pride will not do what it will do in our lives okay let's go on the solution is pruning by god the result is praise for God. I'm going to read this uh, actually from the New Living uh, Translation 34 through 37. It says, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. and My sanity returned. Notice the significance. I looked up to heaven. You know what what the implication is? It's It's not me. I looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. And he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than I had before. And now, watch this. I'm I'm greater even than I was before. Watch. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I said this uh, two weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Uh, who are you, and what did you do with Nebuchadnezzar? Because, because he was so full of himself. He was so full of pride and, and arrogance and, and so self-dependent and thought that no one could, could take him down. No one could destroy his kingdom. And now, all they can do is praise the God of heaven for his great works, for his mighty works, for all that he has done. You see, that's, that's the result. That should be the result of, pray, of, of pruning that God does in our lives. It, it brings us to the end of ourselves. Because listen, there is no better cure 
as I discovered in my office this week, there's no better cure for pride than a big old slice of humble pie coming to end yourself. And Nebuchadnezzar, I gave it to you two weeks ago, I'm going to give it to you again. Nebuchadnezzar learned the most important lesson of all. He learned the BP squared. He learned the big picture biblical principle of Daniel chapter 4. There is a God and I'm not him. Now, (laughs) y'all got your steel-toed shoes on. (laughs) Before you say something silly like, I know I'm not God. Let me ask you a question. Who has control of your time? You or God? I don't understand what you mean. Yes, you do. I didn't stutter, and it's not a complicated question. Who has control of your time? You or God? Who sets the agenda for how your time will be spent? Who gets the lion's share of your time in your life? Because if you answer that question honestly, and if the answer happens to come out, you know what the truth is? I mean, I try and make some time for God to try and show up for church on Sunday, but, but I'm the one that really decides about the time in my life then guess what? You're playing God with your time. Now, so many different areas we could go, so many different things we could talk about, but oh, why not? Who's God of your money? Oh, yo, I know where this is going. You just want to give it all to the church. No, God doesn't want you to give it all to the church. That's right, I said it. God doesn't want you to give all your money to the church. But who is God of your money? Who determines how your money will be spent? Who determines how your, how your money, what it will go towards, or what the priorities of, that, of your finances are? Because if you answer that question, and if the answer, if you honestly answer that question, and the answer honestly happens to come out, truth is I decide about my money. I decide what I'm going to do with it. I decide how much I'm going to give to this or do to that or, or what, whatever I'm going to do with the church. I, I decide about all that stuff. And guess what? You're playing God with your money. I'm not, I promise you, I'm, I'm not trying to tick anybody off in here today. I'm really not. I don't mind making you squirm a little bit, but I'm not trying to make you mad. All I'm saying is, is that pride will always cause us to turn inward. Pride will always cause us to be self-focused, self-centered, self-reliant, self-everything. And it will take us away from God. And God is constantly trying to get us to recognize that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he is over his creation and over your life. So let's look at a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. With the humble. You see, that's where the wisdom comes from. It's got to start in humility. Uh, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. How about uh, one more? Isaiah chapter 2. The pride of a man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Do you, know, you, know, you understand what Isaiah is saying? There is a God and you're not him. And you have to come to the place where you recognize that in your own life. And when we do, ladies and gentlemen, when we do, that's when there is opportunity for God to be glorified. That's when there's opportunity for God to be made known so that other people can come into a relationship with him. Some of you in this room uh, went with me on a trip to uh, Sri Lanka a few years ago. We went... Uh, shortly after that devastating tsunami, it, while I was there, while we were there, I had a I had a gentleman come up to me uh, one day, and he asked me, "Why would you? Why did you? Why? Why have you, you all come? 
What would make you do that? Why would you spend your time? Why would you spend your money? Why would you come over here and, and, and sweat and, and get dirty and labor to build our houses? Why would you do that? I don't pretend to think that I get it right all the time or all that kind of stuff. But, but in this instance, I think I did. And I said to him, I'll, I'll tell you why, sir. I said, because God loves you and he's asked us to love you too. So we come. God is glorified. I have no idea whether that man came to know Christ as Savior or not. I just know that God is glorified and it gives opportunity for God then to work in a person's life. That's what we're talking about here. Praise to God. The opportunity to praise Him because we have, we have emptied ourselves of self and are relying on God and what He will do and does do in and through our lives. Okay, let me give you real quickly. Here's what needs to happen. First, you need to acknowledge God as God. Okay, now listen to me. He is God. Whether you, me, Richard Dawkins, or anybody else acknowledge him as God, he is God, all right? But, but the beginning of moving away from self-centeredness and, God, and going, moving toward God-centeredness, that has to start with an acknowledgement that there is a God, that he is the God revealed in Scripture, and that I'm not him. That God is on his throne, and it's not a two-seater. have to acknowledge God as God. Second, have to accept God as your God. Now that's that whole relational thing that we talk so much about around here. It's that thing, that's that conversation that Hillary and I had Friday. It's moving it from here to here. I know people that will acknowledge that there is a God. I know people that will acknowledge that, that, that God is God of the universe, that he's even the God that's revealed in the Bible, but they have never accepted him as their God. They have never bent their knee to him. Acknowledge their own sinfulness and ask God to forgive them through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Can I, just, can I just ask you? I don't know everybody in this room. Can I just ask you? Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you accepted God as your God? And if you were here last week, if not, go back and listen to it. But there's only one way to do that. And I proved it last week, by the way. But there's only one way to do that. You have to accept his sacrifice, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, his sacrifice on the cross. Have you done that? And then uh, last, you have to allow God to be God in your life. Now again, he is God and he is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. That's what he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar. But what I mean is there has to come this place in your life, in my life, where we not only acknowledge him, not only accept him, but we allow him to be God in our life. We, as Paul says in the book of Romans, we offer our body up to him as a living sacrifice. We say, God, this is about you. This is about what you want to do. This is about what you want to accomplish. This is about the plans and the purposes that you have for, for this world, for your creation, and, and for my life. It's coming to the place, watch this, I want you to see this on the screen. It's coming to the place where you're willing to say, God, whatever you want to do in and through and with me, do it. I am yours. Now, I want you to just stare at that, at that statement for a moment. God, whatever you want to do in and through and with me, do it. I'm yours. I wonder how many people how many of you would be willing to make that statement? Listen to me. With no reservations, with no strings attached, with no fine print, but to be willing to say, God, every ounce of strength that I have, every ability that I have, every hope or dream or aspiration that I have, 
Every minute that I have, every uh, resource that I have, everything, God, it's all yours. I want you to have all of it. Take all of it. Whatever you can do in and through and with me, do it. I wonder how many of us have come to the place where we have been willing to say something like that. Allowing God to be God in your life means that you just, you just lay it all down. You just say, God, it's, it's yours. It's my life. It's your life. You've given it to me. You do with it whatever you want to do. I think Nebuchadnezzar got to that place. I think he finally got it. He finally understood what this thing was really all about. And God radically changed him to get him to that point. Are you at the point where you would say, God, whatever you want to do in and through and with me, do it. I'm yours. Listen, can I give you, let me just give you one little practical thing. I was thinking about this last night. And then we'll close out. But one little practical thing. Two weeks ago, uh, we had a, a group of folks here uh, from a ministry known as the 13 for Haiti. It's a ministry that's going on in Haiti. And, and we're kind of partnering up with them this summer. And we're taking a group uh, to Haiti uh, June 17th through the 24th, I think it is. And uh, Ginger, the young lady that spoke, she came up and, and shared about the work in Haiti and about what all was going on and a little bit about the country and, and about the needs and about how cross-culture can be a, a part of that. And, and if you were here, everybody in here listened very politely to her as she shared. Probably most of you applauded and clapped when, when she finished up and got down. But listen, some of you haven't even given a thought to whether you would go on that trip to Haiti. You heard what she said, you heard the, heard the opportunity, but you haven't even considered it. Not because you hate the people of Haiti, not because you, you want people to die and go to hell, but that, that's just, that's for somebody else. That's for people that like to go on those kind of trips, or that's for people that, 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 that you know, are into that whole kind of going, going foreign mission kind of stuff. That, that's not for me. Uh-huh. Let me ask you a question. Why not? Why not you? Now, this is just one thing. We, we got other stuff. We got, like, we got people to reach across the street and everywhere else. It's, it's, not, it's not, you know, either or. It's all of it. But, but why not? And I'll go ahead and, and say this, and then we'll close out. If your answer, if your answer to that question, when I say, why not? Why, why not you go to Haiti? Give a week of your time. Spend some of your own money. Live in non-air-conditioned quarters. <laughs> Work and serve. If your answer... Most likely, there might be a few examples, but, but most likely, if your answer begins with any, it begins with because I, there may be a problem. There, now, there's some, there may be some different reasons, but for, but for most of us, if, if the answer to that question, why not, why not you? If it begins with because I, that, that could be an issue. As a matter of fact, that is the whole issue with pride. It's got an I right in the middle of it. I, I don't like to be without air conditioning. Now, today you probably would like to be without air conditioning. I don't like to be without air conditioning. I don't like to be in foreign countries. I don't like to sweat or I don't like to fly or I don't like to... I understand all those things. I hate spiders. Okay? Hate them. And they have tarantulas. I'm just going to tell you, it's probably not a good sales pitch, but they have tarantulas now. I've seen them. I'm just saying, pride, self-centeredness will take me away from God. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'll close. Pruning, I said it earlier, is painful. It can be painful, but pruning is always productive. God is trying to produce in us the man or the woman that he wants us to be, the man or the woman that we can be. 
the man or the woman that forgets about themselves, forgets about what they think or, and says, God, whatever you want to do in and through and with me, do it. I'm yours. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? The important lesson, of course, is that Nebuchadnezzar was a different man after God humbled him. Nebuchadnezzar realized that when we take priority over God in our lives, there's a problem. As Pastor Clay said today, God didn't want to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to develop him into the man he could be. God loves us and will do what he has to in our lives as well when our pride prevents us from being all that God wants us to be. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.